Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So they arrested the guy who basically rammed at the security barriers near the White House, facing charges including, quote, threatened to kill, kidnap, inflict harm on a president, vice president, or family member. This according to U.S. Park Police. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The driver was arrested in Lafayette Square. This was last night. He's facing charges of assault with a dangerous weapon, reckless operation of a motor vehicle, destruction of federal property, and trespassing. He's a 19-year-old from Chesterfield, Missouri, with a name that would not correspond with somebody who is a 19-year-old from Chesterfield, Missouri. Now, what people were talking about right away is, oh my gosh, the guy had on him a flag, a swastika flag, a Nazi flag, that it was like kind of like laid down on the sidewalk there. And people are like, what in the, what in the world is this? Because the a local affiliate, WUSA 9, said that it was removed from the vehicle. So the question is, who is this dude? And what's his purpose? What was he uh, trying uh, t- to get done? Was was he uh, a white supremacist? If I give out his name, I remember I try not to give out names, but do I give out a name on this one? What's the ruling here? What's the ruling here? Because this is a guy who, I, like, I, I try not to make martyrs out of people. So I try not to use names, but we definitely don't use a name when somebody gets killed. We we just don't do it. So what's the ruling on this? Because no one no one got killed. But it's pretty interesting that people are going to say, "Oh, another white supremacist." Um, no, not another white supremacist, because. At least by what we know, not necessarily a white guy who did this. Sai Kandula. Sai Varshith Kandula. Not necessarily Joe Smith of Chesterfield, Missouri. Now you ask, why does any of this matter? Well, it will matter in terms of narrative. It'll matter in terms of what it is people will say or not say, how they will or will not report about the story. That's the point. They don't report on stories that don't fit narrative. They exploit stories that do fit narrative. So now I am stuck in this position of saying, well, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? And the answer is, I'll tell the story, I'll let the investigation happen, and I'll leave the rest up to the people. As Carol Markowitz pointed out, she writes over the New York Post, it's a pretty interesting point. There was a movement amongst South Asians to reclaim the swastika as a symbol of peace. Remember, before the Nazis took it, it that symbol has a long history. Now, whether or not that's what this guy was doing and that's how he saw it, dude, I have no idea. I thought it was just an interesting play. 
But what happens in these situations is people take these interesting plays, these interesting stories, and, and they're like, well, maybe it means this, and maybe it means that. And everybody's putting something to something before you have data. The data matters. And what we're seeing here, and I'm not accusing uh, Carol Markowitz uh, of trying to do anything other than bring a, a hey, you know, this, this did happen a few years ago. Maybe that's why this guy had this flag. You go back to November of 2022, Asian faith tried to save swastika symbol corrupted by Hitler. And that story is, was on AP, uh, ABC News. Um, here's an NBC News piece in March of 2022. South Asian Americans complicated relationship with the swastika. So there's a story there. There's, there's how the symbol was used and, and utilized. And, and and what it means and how it got corrupted and all, all this, right? That's an interesting part of history. Now, some people could say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The swastika is what it is. And anybody who's using it is saying that they are connected to blank. They're connected to Nazis. They're connected to fascists. They're connected to this. And they're connected to oppression. They're connect, connected to anti-Semitism. That'd be an easy thing to do. An easy, easy thing to do, but you'll note that's not what we do. Yet, if you were to have the Confederate flag anywhere near you, oh, you're a racist. It can't. It, there can be no other purpose. See how that? See how that works? It's a complicated relationship with the swastika. It is nothing complicated with the Confederate flag, or you could see it differently. The two things have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And one should grow up, learn history, and realize that somebody doing something doesn't necessarily mean the thing that you mean if you don't have enough brains to be able to search out the history of the thing. Maybe you got to take a breath and a beat. Maybe you do have to wait for an investigation. Maybe the guy had 42 flags in the back of the truck that tried to ram the White House. The hell if I know. And the hell if anybody else knows too. People rush aggressively to judgment. And the rush is to set the narrative so no other question is asked. And in the war, as I've been talking about it, and you better bet your ass, it is a war. The narrative and control of the narrative is the everything. It is the tool by which people fight. It is the single most important thing you can have. The problem is you don't get to set narrative. Narrative gets set by the political left that controls ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, the New York uh, Times, the Washington Post, etc. They control. They control narrative. And they control the cultural narrative. And now they want to control the academic narrative all the way down to kindergarten. And then they take people like myself and they claim racist, bigot, sexist, this, that, and the other. And they don't just do it to me because I'm on radio. They do it to you in your home. You want to know what your kids are reading? How dare you? You don't get to decide what teachers do. You want to have a say in your kid's education? You don't get to decide what teachers do. You don't want that book being read by an eight-year-old because it has explicit pictures, uh, pornographic pictures of sex acts. My gosh, you want to ban books? It isn't just me. We, through different avenues, are in the same exact boat 
getting abused by those who want to create and control and distribute narrative. We don't know anything until we know anything. That's reality. But the other reality is these people don't care if they actually know something. They'll just say anything in order to move through what they want. And the narrative is to a goal. And the goal is the destruction of their political enemy. Has the, has the, the, the Durham report not proven this? Has the story of Trump-Russia collusion not, collusion not proven this? They had nothing and they didn't care. They knew it was made up by Hillary Clinton and they didn't care. They still engaged four years of investigations with a congressman named Adam Schiff who said he had proof of the relationship. He had more than circumstantial evidence. His words, not mine. More than circumstantial evidence. He never showed it, never proved it, but was able to say it on CNN and MSNBC repeatedly again and again and again. ABC and NBC and CBS again and again and again. And now that we know he had nothing, you know what he's still saying? Trump's still guilty. And you know what those networks are doing? Inviting him on. Yeah, this is um, this is all part of the war. And the war is designed uh, not to not to talk about a worthy policy, but to destroy anybody who questions what they think a good policy is. That's what's happening. And this is what we're up against. This is what we're fighting. That fight does not come easy, but that fight is necessary. And how we fight, I think that's very important. And we start with a baseline. We are unwilling to sit down, no matter what. We start there, and then we work our way up. And I will be getting into more and more of how we do this in the days and weeks ahead. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. You see, that's why you play the game. Because you never know how it's all going to work out. You never know how it's going to end. And when it comes to IndyCar, my nine years in Indianapolis, my eight years of covering the Indianapolis 500, what I've learned is is that everything is possible. And that even when you think all is lost, it's not the way it actually is. The sport, the race, and specifically what happens at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at 16th and Georgetown Well, it's just different than anything you've ever seen. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And this is a story about economics because there's the news right there from Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing stating that because Stefan Wilson of Dryer Rimble Racing and Cusick Racing was injured, Graham Ray Hall, who didn't make the race, got bumped in qualifying. He will be part of the Indianapolis 500. Let me bring in JMV, the sports guru of Indiana from 93.5107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Uh, You and I take care of pre-race coverage for the Indy 500. We have now going on, I think, eight or this is, I think, our eighth year or ninth year together. Um, We've seen a lot of fantastic and fascinating things. This is a story out of Hollywood right here. Let's start with the basics. What happened to Stefan Wilson? Stefan Wilson got in a collision yesterday with Catherine Legg. Um, he ended up, I think, breaking a bone maybe in his back. I can't remember exactly what how that went down, but he was ruled unable to drive Tony in the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Thus, Brian Reinbold needed another driver. And 
you know, there was some common wisdom out there that maybe a guy like Sage Karam, maybe a guy like uh, you know, J.R. Hildebrand, both have been uh, in and around the track before, uh, could be logical choices. And as it turned out, they decided to go with Graham Rahal. And this is where it gets kind of tricky. See, Graham Rahal's always been a Honda driver. Brian Reinbold is a Chevy engine. So they had to all come together, Brian Reinbold and Ray Hall, Lanigan, Letterman Racing, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, um, Chevrolet and Honda had to come together to allow the release of Graham Ray Hall to be a part of this on Sunday, starting last 33rd in the 107th running of the 500. So he could be wheeling a Chevy around and not a Honda around. So there was a lot of balls proverbially oh. in the air here. They were juggling, uh, but they wanted to go with somebody that had finished fourth. I think Graham Ray Hall finished fourth back in maybe 09. A year ago, he was 21st. Uh, somebody that has a, a little bit of, uh, and certainly with, with the news that had happened, transpired over the weekend, somebody that brings all that to the table and their choice is Graham Ray Hall. So first, not only do you have to get the whole Chevy Honda thing squared away, United Rentals, Fifth Third Bank, major sponsors yeah. of Ray Hall and Ray Hall, uh, Letterman Lanigan have to be okay with having the car moved over. I haven't gotten the details yet of whether or not we're going to see them on the car. Did that get worked out with Dreyer Reinbold and Cusick Motorsports? I I'm assuming all this is going to end up getting worked out. I'm assuming it is worked out by now because you know, Graham Brayhall took to uh, social media and had a video of him, you know, racing and being behind the wheel of that. Uh, it's sad for Stephen Wilson, Tony. That's part of it that I don't think has been left out at all because Graham did allude to that. But you're sad for him because he worked so hard to get to that position. And then because of that incident yesterday in practice with Catherine Legg, he's going to be unable to. But it does go to show you this. And one thing I think Graham has done, Tony, and he did this on Sunday when he got bumped out. He showed a level of humility um, that a lot of people, certainly in this era, any era, really embrace. And I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, Graham Hall is a fan favorite, but he is also somebody that takes a lot of heat, especially in this era of social media, for being a legacy. For being a legacy whose dad won it back in 1986. And, you know, you wouldn't be on this team. You wouldn't be wheeling that car around if it weren't for your name, your last name, whatever. Um, and there's uh, a pocket of folks, percentage of folks that used to say that. I thought really as of Sunday night and then Monday, everybody kind of came together and said, you know what? This is a really good dude that understands the situation. And that's where we are in the here and now. I think he won over some fans, Tony, that he may not have had going into this past weekend. So we'll see how he does on race day. But it was it's interesting, the dynamic. And, and you, you mentioned this at the outset. This is just Indy. This is the way Indy works. It used to be where drivers would just kind of walk around, not literally, but figuratively with the helmets in hand, waiting on something to happen. The one thing he couldn't do, and he realized that was buy his way in. Yeah. Uh, you didn't, uh, you didn't want to see true. him punt somebody out. And then buy your way in. He did not do that. But he understood go, the consequences. But let's but go back because of it. Got in. Let's go back just one second here. Talking to yep. JMV from 93.5, the fan in Indianapolis, the voice of sports in Indiana. You've got Dreyer Reinbold that's worked with Sage Karam that worked with J.R. Hildebrand. Sage Karam is doing some other work right now. These are guys that they know, but they went with Graham Rahal. Is this in and of itself a marketing move 
that you go with Ray Hall because it creates such a better story and it you look good and you still needed the driver? Or does this have something to do with the fact that maybe Hildebrand and and Karam, I, I don't even I'm not 100 percent sure where Hildebrand has been. Karam's been doing some cards outside of IndyCar that maybe you wanted the guy who was the freshest, who knew the track, who had been here for practice. These guys that were were, were were nowhere. So is that the story here? Yeah, to answer your question, that that to me is it. They wanted the guy that had been wheeling around there, uh, had that gotten used to it, that had been practicing, uh, been working with the team. But listen, they probably dig the name as well. That's nothing against J.R. Hildebrand was a corner away, you know, over 10 years ago from winning the Indy 500 that ultimately went to the late great Dan Weldon. Um, and Sage Karam is very capable as well. But they went with somebody that had been working out the track over the course of this month and probably um, as a residual effect I get, and they probably do enjoy it, the fact that they are going to get a named guy uh, and a story, and this is going to be covered mightily, not only by you, by us right now, but by everybody else, and certainly NBC leading up to 107th running of the 500. So they probably fell in to being savvy with that choice, Tony, because all in all, they wanted him because they felt he was the best person for the job. Well, we still got a minute or, or, or so, JMV. Um, one of the stories that you and I are going to be discussing on Sunday you know, as you and I lead up to the coverage of the Indy 500, five hours together on, on air. There is a real drama in Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. The failure of these drivers this year, the only person who made it in, uh, instead of having to go to last chance, is Catherine Legg. Yeah. None of those bottom three drivers for, for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan were above 230 miles an hour in average four-lap speed. And when it comes to Graham Ray Hall, it is clear he doesn't want to drive for his father anymore. There is a story here. Is this the start of Graham Ray Hall peeling away from Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan? And exactly how much soul-searching does that team have to do to actually put a winner on the track. No, 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 a lot of soul searching because they've been off the pace dramatically, Tony, in this month of May, and they're going to have to find something, anything, because it has been a massive disappointment. For Graham Rahal, he has been, been disappointed in his production as well, and there have been stories that maybe – uh, he would like to go someplace else, maybe do something different. I guess we'll find that out. But, yeah, this race team is on the struggle bus right now, for lack of a better description of it. And I don't know how you end up getting off of it unless you just put together, at least one of their drivers puts together a nice performance coming up here on Sunday because this just seems like a situation that this race team right now is finding it very difficult to get out of. I love Tony, by the way, the story of Catherine Legg. Make no mistake of it. I think that's a great story coming back, getting into this. But yes, the overall race team is struggling right now and it doesn't look like there's much of an end in sight. I guess we'll see you on Sunday, but not much of an end in sight. And now you got, you know, namesake of Ray Hall, Bobby Ray Hall, Graham Ray Hall. You know, going to wheel it around for somebody else. We'll see if he decides to go someplace else after the year. But right now, that team is probably one of the more, if not the most, struggling of teams that we're going to see out there this weekend. What I think is interesting is the opportunity it now creates for him that if yeah. he actually has a decent showing, and that would be going in the teens, placing in the teens, he now shows everybody else in IndyCar that the problem isn't him. Yeah. It's 
it's his dad. Yeah. Man, that's a that's a story in itself. We'll catch that another day. JMV 93.5-1075. I appreciate you being with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. I'll say this, I'd appreciate his vote as well. So the truth of the matter is that I do think that the power of persuasion is necessary for the next president. I happen to look forward to being that next president. And so I will take all votes I can get from anyone, anywhere, anytime as I head into this election. You're saying, I'm I'm, I'm listening to you. You're saying you're a better deal maker than President Trump, former President Trump? What I'm saying is that I look forward to persuading the American people, right and left, within my base and on the far side, to making sure that we move this country forward using common sense, finding common ground. It's one of the reasons why I said, and I meant it when I said it, whether it's a boardroom or classroom, whether it's skeptics, even in a church. I plan to take my message to every corridor of this nation. Now, I I talked about uh, Senator Tim Scott earlier. But I bring this up not so much to get into a conversation about him, rather to get into a conversation about what I think works for the GOP primaries and what doesn't. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. And Senator Scott did something here that doesn't work for the GOP primaries. I'm... Personally, I'm rather high on on Senator Scott. I've always liked him. I've always liked the presentation. I've always liked the style. And certainly, I like the policies. Certainly, conversations where he got thwarted by Democrats on prison reform and some other things, I'm down for. I like the approach. And I don't think everything has to be punch him in the face, punch him in the face, punch him in the face. I don't believe that has to be the way it is. I believe that you have to have it on the table. And I believe there are times where you got to pull it out and then you got to wait for it. Punch a guy in the face. That has to happen. There has to come a moment where the only thing left to do is punch the enemy until there's nothing left. But it doesn't have to be on every subject all the time. And I think that if you can find that mix, you're in a really good spot with the American people. Because they absolutely love a fighter. This goes without saying. If you can't, or I shouldn't say you, you get it. They still don't understand why people like Trump. That's insane. They want the fight. You know, we were the first show ever to discuss the fact that the truth is, is that Donald Trump and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are the same person. Chock full of ego, willing to throw down at any second on any subject for anything. Same person. I don't even know why it's surprising to people. First time we said it, people were like, what? And now they're like, oh, yeah, it's totally true. Totally true. The first time I ever said that, people were like. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.
Yeah, that, that, that was then. And now people are like, yeah, it's totally true. Because it is. it is. Don't get me wrong, differences in policy. I'm talking about attitude. The attitude matters. So let's go back to what it is that Senator Tim Scott said in this interview with NBC, where the anchor is, is he's only about uh, Trump. All he wants to do is talk uh, about Trump. But let's go back to this really quick. I'll say this. I, I'd appreciate his vote as well. So the truth of the matter is that I do think that the power of persuasion is necessary for the next president. I happen to look forward to being that next president. And so I will take all votes I can give from anyone, anywhere Anytime as I head into this election, you're saying so, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. You're yeah. saying you're a better deal maker than President Trump, former President. What I'm Trump? saying is that I look forward to persuading the American people, right and left, within my base and on the far side. He didn't answer it. He didn't answer it, and that's going to be seen as you see too nice of a guy. The correct answer is, whoa, 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 deal-making, deal-making. If this is about persuasion, you got to get people to come with you. And yeah, I think I could do a much better job of it than President Trump. And let me tell you exactly how you get this done. Boom. You don't deny it. If Tim Scott thinks that he can really engage while playing patty cake with Trump, because Trump played a little bit of patty cake with him. I welcome Tim Scott uh, to to the race. That whole thing where he went to uh, Truth Social and he's like, uh, a st- big step up from Ron to Sanctimonious. It's like, oh, holy hell. Are you, are you really this guy? Good luck to Senator Tim Scott in entering the Republican presidential primary race. It is a rap, It is rapidly loading up with lots of people, and Tim is a big step up from Ron DeSanctimonious, who is totally unelectable. I got Opportunity Zones done with Tim, a big deal that has been highly successful. Good luck, Tim. The Trump acolyte will tell you, oh, this is so smart. Look how he's he's playing this. And look, he, he's so super kind as opposed to that Ron DeSantis. I'll, I said it yesterday. Or I, I may have said it yesterday. I said it today. I'll say it tomorrow. It's a two-man race. It's Trump or DeSantis. It's a two-man race. Is there a place for Tim Scott in this? Absolutely. Is there a path? Absolutely. Can he make it a three-man race? doubtful super doubtful we we shouldn't lie to ourselves it's super duper doubtful but you got to be in it to figure it out and remember him being in it uh, nikki haley is, is is out nikki haley has gets more of that audience than tim scott and senator scott i don't see it i don't see it and um, and i'll say it again about uh former vice president pence i don't see it at all and I like the man personally. I, I don't see it at all. But go back to this. Go back to this for a moment. This answer that he gave this NBC reporter. You cannot be afraid to say, yes, I can do it better. When you move that far around the answer, when you move that far around it, and you say this. You were anytime as I head into this election. You're saying, so, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you. You're yeah. saying you're a better deal maker than President Trump, former President Trump? What I'm Trump? saying is that I look forward to persuading the American people, right and left, within my base and on the far side. The correct answer is I am completely capable 
of making sure I bring a persuasive message to the American people in ways that other presidential candidates and the current president can't. Because first, you got to answer the question directly. I noticed I gave a little bit different answer the second time than I did the first time, although I think both work. The first one was a little more directed to Trump. Of course I can make better deals than President Trump. And here's exactly how I would do it. Right? That's the way to do it. The way to make deals is to be persuasive. And here is how you can make persuasive deals and I can make them better than anybody else in the field and especially the current president who doesn't make any deals and tries to rule with an iron fist. You must go directly at it. You cannot sidestep it because while some will think he's being the nice guy, how that is heard is he's being the weak guy. That's how it's heard. He's heard in that moment as not punching. Of course you want to be persuasive. Of course you want to bring people onto your side. 100% true and accurate. But you're answering a question to get the vote of the people on the political right. You have to be able to say the words. You can't be afraid of Trump. You cannot be timid with Trump. You cannot play patty cake with Trump. He loves you today. He will destroy you tomorrow. You have to be the guy who is on it. And then you can never forget that the real focus is Biden. You got, I mean, think of it. This is true, by the way, for Trump. This is true, by the way, for DeSantis. Now, Trump doesn't listen to this. Trump doesn't listen to this at at, at all. He feels he's in a different category. And for his acolytes, uh, maybe. You're running about beating Biden. It's about beating Biden. And you have to focus on creating a better America than Biden has created. Look what we can create. Look what Biden has ruined. Look at what we can build. Look at the damage Biden has done. And you got to be able to build that into the conversation while still being somebody who is strong and seemingly not afraid of Trump or when he gets into the race, DeSantis, because DeSantis is going to fight. They've got a war chest. They've got people. Those people have come for a scrap. They are all weighing from Letterkenny. I never thought we'd even get to a scrap. I didn't think a scrap was even going to come today. Oh, yeah. They are down for it. They are DTF, down to fight. They are ready to go. Now, you could be Tim Scott and let these people fight each other and just kind of perform an end around. It won't be enough. You have to answer directly and thusly. You really do. You really and truly do. So this from Tim Scott was a mistake. It was early on, but I think it was a mistake. And his team has to go over that and be much more focused in those answers. Yes, I believe I can do it better than President Trump. And here's exactly how. Because when we engage in, in, in persuasion, we get more people on our side. We have a better chance of getting the policies through. And these policies matter because look what Biden's policies are doing to us here. And you see how that works? See how that flows? That's the advice I would give. I think that's the advice America needs to give him. If you want to be a player in this, you can't sidestep the answer like you just did. And we'll be watching to see if he does it again. I'm Tony Katz. You're not educating sh-t. This is propaganda. What are you going to do? Like anti-trans next? Is that what you're going to do next? I mean, no, we're, we're talking about abortion. This is 
This is violent. You're tripping my students. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You're, no, you're not. Because you I'm can't sorry. even have a So you don't even know what that is. You don't even know what this is. Get this out of here. That is a professor. True story. That is a professor named Shalene, S-H-E-L-L-Y-N-E, Shalene Rodriguez, an adjunct professor, and went up to this table where uh, these people who are pro-life are talking about abortion, they're showing photos and other things, saying you're triggering my students. The table was put together by Students for Life of America. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, you're not educating blank. This is blanking propaganda. And then pushed everything off the table. Good good thing the professor is all about, you know, education and all about uh, being able to to have a a, a dialogue. Um, Hunter College confirms that Rodriguez works at the school and is aware of the altercation that in a statement to Fox News. Well, that's great. I hope they're aware of how they're supposed to fire. Because you fire a person like this, right? You fire a professor who doesn't believe in free speech, who doesn't protect students, is going to attack uh, students or others who are legally on the campus. And by the way, these are pro-life, this is a pro-life student table. This is students for life. They're students there. So clearly they're allowed to be there. And you now have a teacher who wants to make this claim that, or this professor, you're not welcome here? Where's the inclusivity? Where is the inclusivity, I ask you? Where are all the DEI people to say, now, wait a second, they're allowed here. It's like that story of what happened with Uber. Oh, that story of what happened with Uber is like one of my all-time favorites now. You have these DEI people at Uber, who had decided to have a a, a meeting, a get-together, a gathering, if you will, called a Don't Call Me Karen panel, which is supposed to discuss diving into the spectrum of the American white woman's experience. This was put together by the head of uh, of DEI for Uber. Uh, She was uh, placed on leave because employees didn't like the panel. White women don't have a say. White women don't get to complain. White women aren't allowed to do anything except get yelled at, screamed at, and then told how they're bigots. Oh, and you can call them Karens anytime you want, day or night. Well, here's a DEI director actually talking about inclusion. We'll talk about this group, we'll talk about that group here. We're going to talk about this group. And the best line was, the best, I, I was sharing this earlier, the best line from one of the stories that that I read was instead of listening to employees' qualms, Lee, meaning the the, the, uh, head of DEI, dodged questions about how the company would prevent tone-deaf, offensive, and triggering conversations in the future. Screenshots of Uber's internal Slack channels showed one worker calling the meeting more of a lecture than in all hands. Quote, I felt like I was being scolded for the entirety of that meeting. Um, let me be clear. Every single employee who has had to sit through one of these DEI nonsense lectures from their company feels exactly the same way. They feel like they're being scolded all the time. Welcome to the family, boo-boo. 
My gosh, I know you were on the outside for a while, but it's good to see you again. Eventually, the woke comes from all, and you come back to us. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket. Ah, it's good to be amongst us, isn't it? People have been lectured to for about, ooh, five years now, maybe more. Kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, we've been telling you that. But you're like, well, you need to be lectured to. I know what's best. Sure you do, kitten. Sure you do. Sing it, Boo Bear. Good Lord. But I think that line is just so great. So great. I felt like I was being scolded for the entirety of the meeting. Sometimes people just learn the hard way. As for this professor there at Hunter College, you're triggering my students. What are you going to be anti-trans next? Honestly, if this is the best that Hunter College can provide, Hunter College doesn't know how to hire professors. So why the hell would you send your kid there? I mean, you hate your kid if you send him to Hunter College, right? Well, you could maybe be able to say that about any university. But when you see this, demand they be fired. Universities that don't allow for a difference of opinions without violence, those are not worthy universities. Those are places that teach and inculcate and support violence. Don't give them your money. Don't hire their graduates. Maybe they'll learn. I know that's unfair to some of the graduates who aren't this way, but got to learn somehow. We'll discuss whether that's the right theory. In the days ahead, find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.